you'll please take your Bibles and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're continuing our study through the book of 1 Timothy, and so we understand that Paul is trying to tell Timothy these are the priorities of what it means to have a healthy church. If you were, have already read through the passage as you prepared to come to the service, you would have seen that this doesn't talk about anything that overseers do, it talks about who they are. Sinclair Ferguson had this quote in regards to this passage. God is not looking for better methods. God is looking for better people. It's not in what they do, but who they are. So church leadership affects every follower of Jesus Christ. And so again, we're coming to a specific passage where it talks about elders this morning. And then we'll see in a few weeks about the office of deacon. But just because you're not a man, because you're not in leadership, doesn't mean that you get to tune this one out. It's for all of us. We need to understand what it is that we are looking for in regards to the characters and qualifications of those who lead us. But it's also, I want you to ask this question. What do you want said at your funeral? What do you want said? And then ask the question, what am I doing now so that is what is being told? So we're talking about character. We're talking about what it is that God is doing in us and through us. And then we're going to see how God calls very specific people to offices of elder. But what does that mean and how does that apply to us? So I want you to look at 1 Timothy chapter 3 and follow along with me. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive, for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert. And he may not become, so that he might not become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. And moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace and to a snare of the devil. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, this is something that is of your design and it's your calling to those. But Lord, you also tell all of us to be praying for these individuals, to to follow these individuals. And Father, we want to follow those who follow you. And so, Father, we ask that you would again show us very clearly this morning, Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Allow him to direct and lead through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So the first thing we're going to look at is that this is a calling. Now, it's a calling to the office of specifically Elder. Now you'll see different names in the scripture, whether it be overseer, bishop, shepherd, pastor. Now all of these are different words that Paul uses, but it's all for the same office. So there's a calling to the word of elder, but it encompasses all things. He is an overseer, he is a bishop, he is a shepherd, and he is a pastor. 
Now, when we understand that it's the same offer and that all these things are part of his, his calling, sometimes it, it describes what he does do. Sometimes it describes who he is. But he says that if this is a calling that God places on somebody, there is something that's going on inside. Now, what he says, in the Apostle Paul says, it's an aspiration. Now, we need to understand the difference between aspiration and ambition. Because ambition is something where you seek to gain and wield power for the sake of self. That's having an ambition. And Jeff, I'm not, it's not going forward for me. Ah, there we go. Aspiration means less about the position, but becoming worthy of the position. So... We made to make sure that we're aspiring to the office, not have an ambition to the office. And if we have an aspiration to the, to the office, then it says we are looking to a noble task. Now, why does he say it's a noble task? Because it's a challenging work. Now, I want you to understand, those who become people of leadership should never, ever be looking for status. Oh, look at me. I'm an elder. Oh, look at me, I'm a deacon. Look at me, I'm a chairperson. No one is taking these positions of leadership in order to find a status. Well, they shouldn't be. What the Apostle Paul says is this, the ministry is called a work. And not just a work, but a challenging work. I told, I told my wife, I said the day that I think that if I'm in the pulpit or as a pastor and I start to think of it as a job that I need to leave the ministry. Because it's, it's, it's a ministry. It's a calling to go and do challenging things. But it's, it's a work to be in people's lives. It, it's a work and it's, sometimes it's costly. Woodrow Wilson said this, it was a greater calling for him to be an elder in a Presbyterian church than to be the president of the United States. I believe that to be true. There's no office here on earth that compares to the calling that God brings to qualified people to lead his church. But the question for us is what does that calling entail? Well, first of all, it has to be a godly calling. It's a godly calling because that's how God designed it. And so God displayed these leadership positions to display his glory. And not only his glory, but they have to be dependent upon God's gospel. Which means if we're not leading out of the humbleness that comes from knowing the gospel and Jesus Christ crucified, then we have no business to lead others. And so we have the office of elder set up in the calling. That what, what then Paul does is he begins to lay out, here's what it means to have a character of those who lead. Now I'm going to start off by talking about erroneous uh, qualifications. And this comes from Chuck Swindoll. Okay, so I'm stealing this whole section. Okay, and you can go to the book and look it up and it'll explain it to you. But I think he does a good job of telling what it's not. So the first thing he says is it's not about popularity. So it doesn't mean how popular popular you are in the congregation or how well you're liked. 
that has nothing to do with being called to being an elder. It also has nothing to do with posterity. It doesn't mean that you're always sitting in a place of leadership. It doesn't mean that that goes on to people who come behind you. It's not given to your sons and daughters. It's also not about politics. It's not about having the right name or shaking the right hands or pulling the right strings. And it's definitely not about prosperity. Just because you make money does not qualify you to lead God's people. And a lot of times that's what really messes things up is when people start to think because they become popular in the world or they have a successful business or they are someone who is liked by a lot of people or something like that, that somehow that qualifies them to lead God's church. I can tell you this, honestly, that the people who sit on the session that are elders in this church are Christians. Now, I say that because I've been a part of multiple churches within the Presbyterian Church in America and their system, and I can't say that for every elder. There are people who were brought into the office, voted on by people of God, who brought in people who did not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Now, that tends to cause problems. But I can say about the elders that sit on the session at this point are people who are godly men who do strive to seek to glorify and honor Christ. Are they perfect? No. Do we get it right all the time? No. Are we on our knees begging God to to show us and lead and guide us? Yes. So it's not about the wrong qualifications, it's about the right qualifications. And what is that? The first thing is there needs to be a pursuit of holiness. And I'm fighting you guys or something back there. You guys just catch up. So there is a pursuit of holiness. And it has to be a lifelong pursuit of holiness. And when we begin to see someone who wants to shepherd the souls of other people and have that desire, that's a big deal. Now, please understand, there's a difference between wanting to shepherd people's souls and thinking of people as projects. Because we're really good about fixing people. Let me tell you how to be a good Christian. Let me tell you about the right way to do these things. Well, will you love me and come alongside me? No, I'll meet you for an hour this week and I'll tell you what you're doing wrong and tell you what you need to fix. If an elder ever does that to you, walk away. People are not projects within the church or outside of the church. Now, if someone comes and asks to do life, with you and beside you and that is a privilege and it's an honor as part of that calling and so we have this understanding that we we seek after holiness and we should be every time that we start to see other people around us we should be asking this question is God calling this person to be a future leader of his church So we should be looking at our teenagers even at this moment and saying, is God preparing these people to be the leaders of his church? Then what are we doing to equip them? Are we praying with them? 
Are we discipling them? Are we loving them the way that we were? And so in this pursuit of holiness, there comes the opportunity where he starts to pull apart the character. And so we're not going to go into these very specifically, but we do need to look that they're split into different categories. And so it begins with the character of the person. So this is someone who's not marred by disgrace. And again, what's sad is we live in a day and a time where people, um, especially within the pulpit, can do things that are so heinous, that are so wrong, and are asked to leave the pulpit. Or if asked to leave the pulpit, it's for a short period, as if it's not a big deal. Now, I'm not saying there isn't forgiveness. There is forgiveness. There is repentance. But there is something when God tells us very clearly in our character, we have to be beyond being marred by disgrace. It tells him that he's supposed to be a one-woman man. And if it's read, if it's written in there differently in your Bible, change it. A one-woman man. That doesn't mean that he, someone who's been divorced before cannot be an elder. It's not talking about quantity it's talking about quality does this person love his wife with his whole heart mind and soul and so when we begin to get that is he in self-control of himself is he able to take care of things with sound judgment whether it be with fighting whether it be with quarreling whether it be with how he looks at money He has to be in self-control and in sound judgment. And it says he also has to be hospitable. What does that mean? It means that we need to have our homes open. We need to be doing life with one another. We need to get to know each other. Now this is part of the problem of growing, right? This is the first time in my pulpit ministry here at Northside where I do not know every one of you by name and can pray for you by name things in your life. And that boogers me up. It it wasn't a big deal when I was out in Village 7 with 1,500 members, and I'm one of seven pastors. Because then it was just like, hey, I don't know who you are, but that's okay. Right? But that's why God calls the elders together to do the ministry, to be hospitable. um, Kent Hughes said this about hospitality and how it has to go very deep. Um, And Kent Hughes is someone who's pretty well known in the Christian faith. And he goes and speaks at different conferences in different places. And so he talks about um, going and speaking in conferences and getting these nice hotels and people take him around in nice cars and he signs books and all these kind of things. He said the thing that spoke to him more than anything in his lifetime was he went to speak at a conference in West Virginia and uh, a couple, an older couple, um, brought him into their home because they couldn't afford to put him in a hotel. And there's a one-room house, one bed, And so they allowed Kent Hughes to change his clothes, get into bed while their backs were turned. And he slept on one side and they slept on the other side and then reversed it in the morning. 
And he said that was the most memorable and the most impactful use of hospitality that he's ever experienced. Because see, what God calls us to do is he says, will you be willing to give who you are and everything that you have for the church of Christ? I'm telling you, that's hard. I'd rather stay in the hotel. But would we, in our character, would God be able to come to us and say, I need this from you? Would we willingly give it? So he says, this is the character of the people that I'm growing, that I'm seeking. It's about who they are, not always about what they do. Then he changes the course and he says, but are they also able to take care of their homes? Which means, are we able to rule our own household before we rule God's household? And it doesn't mean ruling with an iron fist. See, people can obey authority two different ways. Either in fear or in love. And if we are calling people to obey simply because they're scared of the consequences or they're scared of being punished or they're scared of being whatever, then they're not obeying. It's when we do it with dignity and gentleness and patience and in love that people respond to that authority by submitting willingly. So is our homes a place where people can see that we're doing things the way that God has called us to do? And outside of the home, then it's the ministry. What is the ministry that's going on? And again, people should be able to see your ministry. Um, people ask, well, how do people become chair people and stuff like that? And I, it's on me. Because as I was looking out of the congregation, I, I was asking the question, who's doing the ministry already? Well, maybe let's put them in charge and then let them equip the next person to come behind them. So if they mess up, it's on me. If they succeed, it's on the session. Congratulations. Good job. But make no mistake, we are supposed to be doing the ministry, all of us. But there is something unique in regards to the ministry of those that God calls to be elders. And because these are people who are being fed by the scripture. They're being nurtured by the Holy Spirit. And they are being tested. Anybody who aspires to the office of elder and thinks it's fun. Go talk to an elder. The attacks of Satan are real on these people's lives. The time and effort that's required of these people is real. Ask their wives. Know these people and be praying for them that they might do the ministry that God has called them to in faithfulness. And so they're called in this place to be humbled. Then they also need to be having a good reputation in the world. Now, now, what does that mean? And why does he say not fall into the snares of the devil? 
Because here's the thing, at least for me. I acted one way on Sunday and another way on Monday. I could fool everybody on Sunday, and you would think that I was a very good, especially at that point, a young Christian man who loved Jesus. And I've told you this story before. Um, (laughs) My mom came into the uh, school office at one point and was talking to a friend of mine who was in the office and was talking about me being this wonderful Christian young man at Cocoa Beach High School, and my friend laughed. Are we talking about the same person? Is this the same person that goes to the parties on Friday night? Is this the same person that cheats on tests, flirts with girls? Is he the same? But this is stop in high school. We could ask the same of men and women. Are you the same today as you are tomorrow when you're at work? What about you, young people? Do you love Jesus Christ truly with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? And would your friends know it? Or would they think they play a great game? They wear the right mask. See, character matters. Character matters to the Lord, and it matters to this church, to the church. And so God calls us to be a part of these things, and he says, look at your life and say, how do I measure up? Now, is anybody in this room perfect? No. Is anybody able to do this perfectly? No. But they better be trying. They better be on their knees, crying out, repenting, asking God to restore them. So we have the calling, we have the character, but then we also have the care. Now most of this comes out of Acts chapter 20. Um, If you want to turn there, you care, you can. Um, Acts chapter 20 though, and then obviously what we've already read, um, Ephesians 4. But this talks about the care from those who lead. And the first thing that we have is servant leaders. He calls us to be servants first and foremost. See, elders belong to the church, but the church belongs to Christ. Therefore, we need to have the proper humility and a godly fear. And when we have that understanding of what it means to to bow down and to wash the feet of those around us, then we can start to practice the art of leadership. Because a leader is, is only can be truly leading when he's led of the Spirit in the church. And again, that's the understanding. Again, when, when I th- want you to think about what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit, led by the Spirit, I want you to think of the glove and the hand illustration. The hand, the Spirit is the one who leads and guides the glove. So we need to be led and guided by the Holy Spirit. And as we're led, then that's the only time that we're qualified to lead is when we're in Christ. If I have, there are times, and again, I'm, I'm being honest with you. There are times where, again, where, where it's just like, hey, I know the answer to this. 
I don't need to pray about this. I don't need to think about this. I'm just going to answer. How arrogant. How arrogant of me. But, but, but pastor, if I give you a gift card, that's your gift card. No, it's not. It's God's gift card. Now, there might be times that I get to use it on me, and that's great. But I have to stop and ask God, how do you want to use this gift card? Maybe it's a family in need. Maybe it is that person on the side of the road who, with their cardboard sign, is begging for something. Maybe it's me taking someone to that restaurant. But how arrogant to think that somehow I have figured it all out. I have to be humble. I have to be aware and ask God, how do you want to use me? How do you want to lead? How do you want to use the money? How do you want to use my house? How do you want to use my vehicles? How do you want to use my life? Because it's all yours. You lead. You direct. You guide. And so when we get that right, then all of a sudden we start to minister to people the way that God wants us to minister to people. And it keeps us humble because the second thing he tells us to do is to protect and to nurture. We are the front line of spiritual warfare. And we are called to lay down our lives for others. Let me ask you, when was the last time that you were willing to lay down something for someone else? To give something for someone else, to protect someone from something else. Now again, if you try to do that in your own power, you will hear me trying to guilt you. And you'll try to do it in your own strength and you'll fail. That's why God says pray he leads and guide he answers us when we speak to him and we need to do this because again if we don't we try to do it in our own power every time that i go to a missions conference anybody who gets up there and speaks about that place i gotta go there i need to go to africa they really need somebody there then somebody gets up from Romania. Oh, I got to go to Romania. Oh, you got to go to Northern Ireland. I got to go to Northern Ireland. And then you have the other people come in and go, well, you need to stay at home. Oh, yeah, I, got, I need to stay at home. Now, hearing all those different things and all those different ministries aren't bad. Having a desire to fulfill those ministries is not bad. How do I know what God's calling me to do? I pray. Jeff, you're called to Northside. Fulfill your calling and be a servant leader at Northside before you want to change the world. But man, being a missionary, that's cool. Being a pastor at Northside, there are people who don't even like me. Come on, Jesus. Are you going to be faithful? Yes. 
and we nurture. We protect one another. Why does he tell us not to gossip? Why does he tell us not to tear each other down? Because we're called to be a family that nurtures, protecting and equipping, building one another up, loving one another. And again, I think if we're honest, everybody would tell all of our families are messed up. In some way, we all have issues. So does the church family. So what do we do? We leave and go to another one. No. We do what the Bible tells us. We love and encourage. We speak to one another in Christ. We fix what needs to be fixed. We encourage where it needs to be encouraged. So we're part of protecting and nurturing. One of the biggest things that we're called to do is teach. So we're supposed to know the word exhaustively, extensively. You want to know what your elders have gone through in regards to a year's worth of study, the books that they've had to read, the tests they've had to take. It's so that we make sure that they are pointing you back to Jesus, doing the right things, knowing where to go. It's a big deal. They need to know the word, apply the word, follow the word, lead in the word. And there's no excuse. There's no excuse for any of us. Um, There's a great example, and I think I've told you this before. Uh, Lieutenant General William Harrison um, was a part of World War II. He's the only general to, to be um, wounded in war. But every time that he got the chance to catch up on his readings, he did. And so by the time that he was 70 years old, he became a Christian when he was 20. By the time he was, excuse me, by the time he was 90 years old, he had read the Old Testament 70 times and the New Testament 280 times. He led the Officer Christian Fellowship for the military for 13 plus years at the end. Now they didn't talk about him being this great intellectual. They talked about him knowing Jesus. That's why we study. That's why we know the word. And that's why we teach. And we have to teach it effectively. But we also do it in discipleship. Which means we make sure that we have sound doctrine. Which is important. But also godly living. That's why the elders do ask you the question when you become a member. Is there something that we need to be aware of to be praying for you so that we can pray with you and alongside of you and hold you accountable? We're not your priests. We're not looking for confessions. But we are saying, how do we shepherd you the way that we should? How can we help? How can we come alongside? How can we minister? When all of that happens and all of that is going on, are we modeling the character of Jesus Christ? Are we in Christ modeling what it means to be that servant leader? Because remember what the example is. Christ humbled himself, came to earth, lived a perfect life that we could never live to become a perfect sacrifice that we could never be. He rose from the dead to give us a life we could never earn. Are we modeling that 
to others. And when we begin to model that, the only way we do that is we preach the gospel to ourselves every day. Because here's the extremes. If we're not preaching the gospel to, if I'm not preaching the gospel myself, I either become authoritarian, authoritative, or become antinomian. There's no in-between. We're either running to Jesus or we're running from him. You can never be stagnant. So I've got to get this relationship right. Am I right with God? Do I love him with my whole heart, mind, soul, and strength? Do I? And if I get that one right, then this one becomes right. Now how do I love my neighbor as myself? Because I love myself. You might not, but I do. And I think you guys got eye candy here. I really believe that in some ways. Man, they got a pastor that loves them. Do they really grasp and understand? And I would hope, and I would say this, I would hope that you would model your lives off of the elders that are part of this session in this church. And that is a big deal for me to say. So I'm going to ask for your elders to stand. Even the ones that are on sabbatical. Stand up. Now. Look at who they are. Know these men. Clayton, you got to stand back up, man. We need to be praying for Clayton and his family hard this year and next year. Pray for these men, and I would beg you, please emulate who they are. Because they're godly men who love Jesus, and they love you. You guys can sit down. Please hear these words. Please hear them. And know and understand who you are in Christ. And ask, am I living in such a way that when I die, the greatest thing that would be said is he was a Christian. He knew Jesus. He loved his church. If that can be said, Well done, good, faithful servant. Enter into your rest forevermore. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I, I hate it when I weep because I never want anyone to ever think that I've created an emotional response. 
But Father, I never pray, I pray that I will never, ever lose my zeal or my passion to know your word and to know you and to live in such a way that it brings you honor and not disgrace. Father, in our failures, forgive us. But Father, let us understand what it means to forgive and to love others the way Christ has loved us. So Father, I thank you for the design that you've brought, that you've called men and women to lead your church in different ways, but all in such a way to bring about the ministry because we are all appreciated and loved and used by you in a unique way. And so, Father, receive all glory and honor by what we say, by what we think, and by what we do. May we be bound faithful to you and to you alone. And we pray all this in Christ's name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.